Uh, I'm Kate Galbraith. I'm a reporter with the Texas Tribune. I cover energy environment, which is uh, what we're going to talk about um, today. We have a great panel. Um, before I introduce them, uh, just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Um, cell phones off, uh, please, or if you want to tweet, you can tweet with the hashtag TribuneFest. And uh, uh, the because of the um, lines at lunch, apologies for those. Uh, uh, the all the programming is going to be pushed back uh, 15 minutes, so that we'll end this at 2:30, uh, and th then we'll have um, 15 minutes in between, and and the next panel will start 15 minutes uh, delayed. So that's how we're going to uh, run things uh, this afternoon, and. Um, uh, so this is a uh, uh, preview of the legislature, what to expect in energy environment. And uh, uh, many thanks to our sponsors. This uh, uh, panel is sponsored by uh, AT&T and uh, uh, supported by the Texas uh, Construction Association. So uh, appreciative of that. And um, uh, with me today is um, a great panel. On the end there, um, Jim Keffer has uh, uh, spent 15 years in the legislature as the uh, uh, state representative from the Eastland area. He's the first uh, Republican to represent his district, District uh, uh, 60, and he's the chairman of the House Energy Resources Committee on several other uh, committees, um, including natural resources and calendars. and. Uh, President of a small business, um, EBAA Iron Sales. Um, and uh, uh, welcome, um, uh, Representative Keffer. Thank you. And um, then next to him, uh, Senator Carlos Uresti is from the San Antonio area. He's represented District 19 since 2006. And uh, incidentally, I've learned that that's uh, the largest uh, geographical Senate district in the lower 48, and it covers. 23 Texas counties, yes. um, so that's uh, that's very impressive. Um, he serves as vice chair of uh, a couple of Senate committees, um, administration and agriculture and rural affairs. And uh, before coming to the Senate, spent a decade um, in the House, about a decade. And uh, uh, he just got married a few months ago, so congratulations. Um, next to him is uh, uh, Representative Mark Strama, who's been in the House since 2004, representing um, the, the uh, sort of North Austin area. He's a member of the Public Education Committee and Energy Resources and uh, serves on advisory boards for Clean Energy Incubator and Environmental Sciences Institute at uh, UT Austin here, and uh, outside the legislature, he founded uh, the first company to register voters online. Um, and uh, uh, just on a personal note, I've been uh, talking to Mark um, uh, about energy issues for uh, many years, and when I got laid off from my previous job uh, three years ago, um, he went to Evan Smith and uh, uh, suggested that Evan talk to me about an energy job at the Tribune, and so that's uh, been very meaningful um, to me. And She's going to throw you all the softball questions. <laughs> and uh, uh, then um, uh, next to me here is uh, Senator uh, Craig Estes uh, from the Wichita Falls area. He is uh, uh, the chair of the Agricultural and Rural Affairs Committee in the Senate and vice chair of, of Natural Resources. Um, serves on uh, several other committees, um, um, Senate Finance, Business, Commerce, Veteran Affairs, um, and uh, military installations. And he's been working on uh, rural health issues uh, quite a bit and looking at um, uh, issues to do with uh, uh, biofuels and also water. He was appointed um, by the governor to serve on the Western uh, States Water Council. And uh, so look forward to talking about uh, water and, and other issues here. So I Thank guess I'd, I'd uh, just like to start off. We're going to have um, uh, maybe 40 minutes of, of us talking and then open it up to questions. And so I'd like to just start by asking, you know, where, where you all see uh, energy environment fitting into uh, the next session? You know, is it, um, are there going to be important issues that, that uh, come up or is it going to be kind of dwarfed by discussions of of the budget and so on. Maybe we could start with you, um, Representative Keffer. Well, 
Um, if I'd have known you needed a job, I would have sort of said that to Evan, too. So uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm late to the game here. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think education will probably be everybody's 1A topic and, and should be. But if that's 1A, then water ought to be 1B. Uh, I think uh, the time has come. Uh, we've had a good water plan since 95. We've never funded it. Uh, I think after the drought of uh, record last summer, uh, statewide uh, drought of record, uh, everybody has seen the sensitivity and uh, problems of, uh, of even running out of water, having to truck water again. Probably haven't done that since the 50s uh, in some places. So I, I'm hopeful that we will, uh, uh, for, the, for the future of our state, uh, future economic growth of our state, uh, that we um, tackle that issue once and for all. So uh, that's what I hope uh, that will be one of the big uh, focus of, mm -hmm. our, of, our, of the 83rd. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Estes, you want to jump in there? Uh, ditto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, let me just say that, first of all, you have to start with the budget because it drives all things. And I know this is about energy and the environment. But we literally could uh, come down here for 140 days and do nothing but pass the state budget and go home. Now, I don't recommend that because we do have some vexing problems. But whenever, this will be my sixth uh, regular session, and we try to, you know, dust off our crystal ball and look to the future. And many times at this point, uh, before the legislative session, I've said, well, it's going to be about this, that, or the other, and been totally wrong. Uh, 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 having just uh, heard Governor Perry last night, uh, having heard uh, Speaker Strauss this week, uh, he came to Wichita Falls, having heard uh, Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst, they've all mentioned prominently our water issues. So it's something that those of us that have been around here a while have struggled with. We, uh, the state water plan is actually nationally recognized. We are light years ahead of other states with our fantastic uh, plan with the regional groups planning. Uh, but there again, the funding has been the vexing issue. So, so all of us, I think, are trying to scratch our heads to figure out, okay, how do we uh, skin this cat, so to speak? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have uh, thoughts on this, uh, uh, Senator Resty? You're from an area, San Antonio, that's done a lot of uh, thinking about water and is, you know, viewed by, by a number of people as fairly, fairly progressive on this. I mean, what Extremely could um, uh, the legislature do uh, next session about water? Well, I think um, San Antonio Water System, SAWS, has done a wonderful job in, with regard to conservation, um, of course, in trying to keep the, uh, the ratepayers happy with, with keeping the rates down, and they've become a, a model, a national model for, for everyone to emulate, and uh, they've been progressive, they've been uh, you know, ahead of the curve. So I think we, we need to look at um, how SAWS is handling uh, things in San Antonio, and I think the other parts of the state could, and the country, of course, could, could learn from what we're doing. It's going to be a big issue to, to reiterate what's already been said. Um, this afternoon, it's going to be a huge issue, and you know, going forward with the developments in the Eagle Ford Shell, et cetera, I think water is going to definitely rise to the top. Mark, what do you see on on water? Well, first, can I clear the air about how you got your job? <laughs> <laughs> because as astute a journalist as Kate is, she hasn't really figured out that what I was doing was what politicians do all the time, which is take an idea that's about to happen anyway and get credit for it <laughs> by making a last-minute phone call to confirm something that was already cooked. Uh, the, uh, you know, your question was, where does energy and the environment fit into the session? And, and I think it probably gets the most attention where they've talked about where at the intersection between energy and water consumption. Mm -hmm. And I think the two big areas of intersection are the role of water in hydraulic fracturing uh, and the impact of hydraulic fracturing on water supplies or potential impact. And then the role of water in electricity generation, uh, which, you know, certain forms of generation are intensely water consumptive and certain require no water at all and at some point uh, that's what people mean when they talk about the externalities that affect the cost 
of electricity, but that sometimes aren't priced in by the marketplace. Uh, and, and the cost of water at some point is going to start affecting the cost of electricity, as it's going to affect a whole lot of things about the Texas economy. Uh, the other area where I think energy issues, I, I, I tend to think that this session is going to be another budget and education dominated session dwarfing all other issues. Uh, but, you know, we, through Chairman Keffer's leadership, we did something big on fracking last session. And I think that fracking continues to be an issue that is transforming a lot of things about Texas, about the electricity system, and also the sort of, you know, neighborhood and zoning policies. And, uh, and I suspect that'll be an issue again in the coming session. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can talk a little about uh, fracking. That was key legislation uh, uh, last session that um, um, a, a law that uh, uh, mandated disclosure of, of uh, the fluids, um, uh, the, the fluid composition of, of uh, fracking fluid and uh, uh, on a, a public website sort of well by well, and, and Representative Keffer, you were part of that. Can you talk about, you know, sort of how you see that, um, how well that legislation work, and is there anything further to do on, you know, the, the fracking issue, either broadly the sort of chemical disclosure issues or the water um, um, consumption it, element? It, isn't the shale play is amazing? I mean, it's, we, we've got a group from coming down from North Carolina next week who have never had oil and gas production at all in their state to speak of. And they have just found a shale formation in, in North Carolina. I mean, it's, it's just like almost every week in the newspaper, we're reading about another shale find or a larger play than anybody uh, thought. And Texas is blessed. Texas is um, the reason the budget is doing well, the reason we have money or, you know, however that's going to play out. But uh, is, you know, the linchpin of Texas is still oil and gas. The, the foundation of our economy is still oil and gas, and, and we are blessed uh, so much, uh, so well uh, right now. And, and I, you know, the, the hydrofracking is certainly uh, a huge, uh, maybe the reason uh, of um, around the country, uh, these, these formations that are now um, commercially viable. Um, where this is going to go this next session, I think uh, it, it's, it's sort of morphing from that focus on hydrofracking to well integrity. I, I think that's, that's an issue of where people are now seeing, uh, and the Railroad Commission as we speak is, is, is looking right now over the rules of, um, of, uh, of um, casing of well integrity. So I, I think it's, it's sort of growing into a larger um, aspect and, and look at uh, of how we do our business and making sure that rules and regulations are updated in 21st century. So I, I think it's, it's, it's moving, but moving positively. Uh, we'll probably get into water and energy use here in a minute of what the, what, uh, the oil and gas in, industry is doing, but, uh, but I think it's moving positively and I think there are things that are being looked at, looked at, looked at. I think uh, obviously well integrity is a, is a is a large uh, sort of a offshoot of, of fracking, and that's something that I'm that we'll be looking at uh, very seriously also. So that that could mean some legislation in that area. It, it could. Potentially. It could. Like I say, railroad commissions look at rules right now, and uh, where that maybe is where we see voids or or whatever that could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, does anyone? have thoughts on, on, you know, sort of water use and, and fracking. I mean, how th this is sort of pops up periodically. I think actually that was part of the bill uh, last uh, it, it, last yeah. session to also disclose the amount yes. of, of water um, in each in each well. I mean, is this, but is, you know, the, the volumes of water in, in fracking can go quite high um, in a given area, you know, not overall, um, you know, one to two percent of all state water use, but is that, um, you know, with water such an important um, issue, is that sort of a, a sub-area uh, we should look at, or is that kind of part of a, a broader, you know, water water rethink, maybe Senator Estes? Well, I had a bill two sessions ago that basically said uh, people that are doing fracking report to the state the amount of water you use 
uh, in your fracking procedures, and and that was helpful. Uh, but where we go from there is, uh, I, you know, they can use three to five million gallons of water. Uh, can that be recycled? We've seen some pilot programs there. Uh, can brackish water be used instead of fresh water? Uh, just an interesting anecdote, there's a little old town in my district called Bellevue. It's got a very small little lake. One day I was driving by there and I was going to talk to a fellow that lived close to there and I, the little town lake was dry. And he said, uh, I said, wow, your, your lake dry, what, it, it was kind of predated the drought we've had. I said, why'd your lake go dry? He said, oh, we sold all the water to a fracking company. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they were fine with that because evidently they got a, quite a bit of money, but the little town lake, Bellevue's a very small place, by the way. But let me, let me just go back to one thought about the budget. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a bumper sticker, but we ought to create one. Have you hugged your oil and gas producer today? Okay. I mean, keep Austin weird, hug your oil and gas producer. You know, you can have all these bumper stickers. Here's my point. You wouldn't see that on the same car, though. Probably okay. not. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But here's my point. You know, we have this wonderful thing called the rainy day fund, which we don't like to use, but it has billions of dollars in it. Where did that money come from? It, most of it came from oil and gas production. So I, I'm here to say, and, and I've, uh, my district is right in the epicenter of where the Barnett Shale has been developed. Tremendous uh, strain upon the infrastructure of that area. Uh, these three million pounds per well of cement and steel and stuff that goes down the hole all comes in through roads. And so we've had a, we've had a very tough time with the counties and the cities in these areas where they're drilling like crazy, uh, keeping up with the infrastructure on the roads. Uh, so one uh, success and one exciting thing leads to problems in other areas. But uh, thank goodness we have this uh, boom going on in our state and in the nation. And uh, the experts tell me that if we do things right, we can be energy independent in a few years. I hope they're right and I hope we do go down that road. Well, one of the interest, I mean, the long-term future for the price of natural gas is, I think, the most interesting question in finance today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna determine the fate of a whole lot of larger questions. Uh, and it's affected by questions like, what's the long-term future of the price of water in Texas? The, the Obama administration just this past week kicked to after the election a report that they have been preparing on the advisability of increasing the export of natural gas by liquefying it and putting it on ships and trying to reconnect the natural gas market here to the global natural gas market because right now it's it's really deviated from the oil from oil prices because it's captive domestically and we are oversupplied domestically in the prices that is so low when people talk about the renaissance that's, on, that's going on right now in American manufacturing, the, the first reason they give for it is lower energy prices deriving from low natural gas prices and the role that has in electricity prices. If we start exporting natural gas, it's gonna be an even bigger windfall for the Texas energy industry than the one we've enjoyed in the past five years. But it's gonna elevate electricity prices by increasing the price of natural gas. And that could undermine this manufacturing surge that we've had. Uh, and obviously consumers won't like it in the long run. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think it got pushed till after the election. <laughs> to fo follow on what Senator Estes said, I, come January I'll represent four new counties which will be in the heart of the Eagle Ford Shell in, in South Texas. And the, the counties down there if you talk to the judges and the mayors, they, do, they too talk about the, uh, the challenges um, that come with this tremendous boom that we've, we're seeing because of this shell. Um, I like to call them challenging opportunities because there's some wonderful opportunities, yet there's some challenges that come with uh, what's going on down there. Uh, one of the things I haven't heard in my discussions with, with different folks is with regard to water, because of the population growth that we see coming, there's gonna be a, a greater demand on water. One, two, with the infrastructure 
that will come with regard to roads and highways and the building of those, um, infra that infrastructure, there'll be an additional demand on water. So uh, this discussion, um, I think, will be, needs to be a top priority going into the next legislative session. One of the things that I've been kicking around and talking to different folks about is because of the Shell and the Barnett Ford and Ford and Ford and, and, and the Permian Basin, these are basically the, the golden goose, if you will, and which is the reason why we have the funds we do in our rainy day fund. And if we don't protect the golden goose, then <coughs> Texans, all of Texans, are going to suffer those consequences. And so by that I mean, uh, but one of the things, one of the ideas we're looking at is uh, proposing to, to take part of the monies going into the Eagle, into the rainy day fund and investing that back into um, the shells with regard to infrastructure, et cetera, in order to protect the golden goose. Yeah. Okay, can I, one, one story leave out there, uh, talking about the amount of uh, water in a, in a, uh, a frack job could be as much as 8 million gallons. I mean, it's, it's depending on the depth and all that kind of stuff. Well, and I, just to not leave it where that's the way it is, take it or leave it, the, the oil and gas industry knows the sensitivity to fresh water. And as Senator Estes says, there's a lot of reuse, there's a lot of uh, work going on in that, uh, in that direction. But also, I had the pl uh, pleasure, I guess, of going and visiting a company in Arlington that downhole, makes downhole, uh, produces downhole equipment. And, and they have a patented idea that they're doing uh, field testing right now on, where, like I said, a, a frack job may be in the millions, a, eight million gallons, where they can get the same production from that well, but using this device, and only use 500 uh, gallons. So again, I, I, that kind of ingenuity, that kind of that's work, awesome. that kind of thought is going on, that kind of game changer kind of, but that's where, proud to be an American, I guess, I mean, that's where ingenuity, that's where the need is there and people try to fit that need. So, uh, you know, that kind of stuff's going on uh, in the industry also. So just to, you know, know that, uh, that uh, that's certainly uh, aware of, uh, of the freshwater issue. So imagine if five years ago we were having this panel and I had said, guys, five years from now, it will be essentially impossible to raise the capital to build a new coal-powered plant in America. You just said, no way. Right? Or you would have said only if it's through policy. That would have to be because Barack Obama becomes president and he enacts some regulation. That is the status quo today, with the exception of this heavily federally subsidized uh, IGCC plant in Summit that's also Chinese subsidized. Uh, the, essentially, it's, there's, no, there's no new building of coal power and none on the horizon because of hydraulic fracturing. And in the last 24 months, American CO2 emissions have gone down for the first time in our industrial history. And a little bit of that is because of the economic contraction, but my understanding is most of it is because we've migrated about 8% of our electricity portfolio from coal to natural gas and some growth in renewables. Uh, fracking has done more to reduce CO2 emissions than anything else in the last 50 years. Uh, it is the biggest threat to coal. It is, it is essentially killing the coal industry. Uh, win for Texas, bad for some parts of the country. Uh, but it is also the, uh, the biggest threat to the evolution and continued development of the renewable energy industry in the economy. Because low price natural gas, low price electricity, you know, you know my, my legislative director jokes sometimes that, you know, every time he meets with somebody from the solar industry, they say, they show him a chart that shows how in three years we're going to be uh, price competitive without subsidy. And it's the same chart they've been showing for the last eight years, right? And, uh, and but, but their legitimate problem is that they were trying to hit a bogey that keeps getting lower. Right? As the price of electricity, as the competitive price of electricity mm -hmm. has gone down, mm -hmm. the solar's ability to be competitive without subsidy has gotten harder and harder. And they've dropped their price 70% in the last two years. And they're still a long way from price uh, competitiveness because so has the competing price of electricity. Right. 
So there was a lot, there was a lot in there, and, and since you brought up solar, maybe we can uh, just talk about that a little bit. There, you know, obviously wind power uh, here in Texas has gotten very big, close to 10% of the grid because of a, a mandate in, in 1999 and, and 05 for uh, uh, renewable power, and there have been efforts to uh, uh, bring solar, um, which is more expensive, on board either through a, a mandate or uh, some kind of rebate um, program, where do you see that um, um, sort of falling uh, uh, in the legislature uh, this coming year? I think actually in, what was it, 2009, Mark, uh, there was a uh, We've come close. Yes. Uh, uh, We've come a, close. A solar had, session, but uh, nothing yeah. ultimately really, really happened. I mean, is there, is there um, a place, uh, is, is there anything the legislature you know, wants to do about about solar at this point. I, you know, well, I, I can't speak for the legislature. I can yeah. tell you what I want to do, and I've I've had a lot <laughs> of help from Chairman Keffer working out the details of this. Uh, but what I think we ought to do to start is put solar panels on every public school in Texas that has the a sturdy enough roof that isn't shaded by trees, and do that in order to reduce their utility costs uh, and save local property taxpayers some money on the maintenance and operations of their school system. Uh, that seems to me a good first place to subsidize solar. Why would you want to subsidize solar? Why, why should one person pay for their neighbor to have solar panels? One reason is the experience we had in the wind industry, which by introducing low price wind into the grid has brought down everyone's electric rates for all types of electricity by making the electric grid more competitive. Uh, it has also reduced emissions from our electric, electricity generation portfolio in a way that allows our other manufacturing industries to thrive because more, more emissions from electricity generation means less emissions allowable under the Clean Air Act from other sources. Uh, and it has generated enormous investment in the parts of the state that are generating wind power. I mean, it has made a lot of money for a lot of people in certain parts of the state. So those are good reasons. The other reason is we want solar to, th to we want Texas to be a leader in this industry. Natural gas has been, and we are still an oil and gas driven state. But there is a time horizon when renewables become as big a part of the energy industry as oil and gas. And we want Texas to benefit as much from a leadership position in that segment of the economy as we have from being the leader in oil and gas. And, and, and oil and gas didn't get where it got without subsidies. And renewables aren't going to get where they need to be without subsidies to stand them up. And, and we can do this in a smart way that, that doesn't give money to people who shouldn't have it. It means risk taking. There's going to be companies you invest in that fail. There's going to be technologies that you invest in that don't work. But the, you know, Jim and I talked about this a couple of months ago at a Trib event in Houston. We're here uh, sponsored in part by the Mitchell Foundation. George Mitchell is the guy who brought tech, uh, hydraulic fracturing to the market. But he initiated the R&D process for hydraulic fracturing through the Department of Energy and a heavy federal subsidy of the R&D because it's such a big investment that no private enterprise would take the risk on early stage R&D, pre-commercial R&D, to develop that technology. And so the federal government helped George Mitchell bring this technology to market and then the private enterprise free market took, took, took that mantle and did what it's done for the Texas economy today. Well, Senator uh, Uresti, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, um, you know, whether there's a, a need for the legislature to get involved in solar, because obviously, you know, uh, uh, CPS Energy is, is moving forward with a huge uh, uh, solar investment, um, really on its own. Right. Yeah, recently CPS uh, in San Antonio signed a, a huge contract. Um, to venture into solar. And again, I think it's something, like, like Mark said, that we as a state need to look at. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, we definitely are fortunate to have the oil and gas that we do. But you know, in my district, um, we've actually started talking to some of those school districts with regard to the solar panels. I think it's a wonderful idea. I mean, there, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of them, and they would be uh, ripe for 
that opportunity. Of course, out in West Texas, I mean, there's there's plenty of sun, but along the same lines with with the wind as well. I was coming back from Del Rio yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, but um, there's turbines going up in uh, Val Verde County. So I think there's we have to look at these other interests, not put all our eggs in one basket because no one knows where we're going to be in 10 years, in 15 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative Keffer, how do you see kind of the, the renewable energy subsidy question, I guess, essentially? Well, it, it's tough because exactly what Mark said, uh, with the, the price of natural gas is, is, is the overwhelming uh, issue right now. So every, anything we do with wind, and we've all been reading in the papers uh, the wind manufacturing layoffs because of you know the the need the the uh, the potential expiration of the, the potential federal expiration production of the tax federal uh, you know there's a lot of uh, uh, is very problematic in in that industry right now what to do or what not to do um, so that's an issue there's a there's a I can't remember the acronym but it's PACE and they're, and they're for solar and they are looking they did they they we we had a I think an effort on residential now they're coming back to look at commercial. Uh, uh, on, on a, on a uh, uh, payback program, which I think got a lot of uh, potential. Uh, I've been interested in looking at that. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but, uh, but it's PACE, P-A-C-E. It's, so, it's the program that lets you finance a solar investment you're right. through your property taxes. Through your property tax, right. And then so, right. so that if you don't own the property long enough to get the payback from the solar investment, the, the, the remaining debt conveys with right. the property and the entity that acquires the property gets the benefit of the solar installation that you capitalized, but also has to sustain the, the yeah, rest of the And one thing debt. about commercial, because obviously you, you would own that commercial property longer than maybe a ho house ownership or you know, that kind of thing. So, so anyway, I think there's programs out there. I, I think it will be a debate um, on what to do as far as renewables uh, this next session, but you know, I've always been open to, as Carlos said, uh, uh, to open in the bag as much as possible. I mean, again, you, I think Texas has certainly been out there with the with our wind, uh, our what now eight billion dollar investment in the Cres line uh, to to bring uh, power to the Metroplex or the uh, where the power is needed. So you know, we're no slouch in that regard. I mean, I think we've certainly put our money where our mouth is, and and uh, and for that very reason, I think we need to keep a program going to uh, for the benefit uh, uh, of what the money we've already invested. But uh, but uh, natural gas again, who would have thought? You know, I mean, uh, uh, three buck, less than three dollar, MCF uh, natural gas, and uh, so it's. Uh, it's there. Now, uh, Mark, uh, and we all worked on, uh, but Mark was the author of the infrastructure for natural gas, and I think we ought to go to fleets, ought to go to natural gas. I think we ought to encourage that uh, all we can, but you've got to have the infrastructure. You know, a lot of, you know, so we, we you know, it's hard to, the chicken or the egg kind of thing to make sure that we do that, but you've got to have the infrastructure to supply. And in the triangle, uh, we using TERP funds that uh, Mark, uh, uh, worked out. Uh, we are building that infrastructure, and that's and that's a great thing. And I, again, we Texas continues to step forward. We're not we're not resting on any laurel anywhere. I don't think uh, we're trying to look at the wide spectrum, but keep it financially viable and keep it uh, where uh, the ROI is is there. Uh, you know, for for everybody's future. Well, one of the consequences of the you know abundant and cheap natural gas are, is the strains on the electric grid, and I talked a little about um, that this morning. We had a panel on that, but I'm wondering, you know, that's been fairly um, um, sort of a, a well-advertised problem and situation. I'm wondering if there's in the west zone, um, right, um, um, out where they're drilling a lot and, and there's a lot of um, economic activity, um, a lot of. Uh, congestion on the grid. Is there, you know, maybe start with, with you, Senator Estes, is there a, a role for the, um, you know, is this something the legislature's going to, you're going to be keeping an eye on? Well, the, the one thing I remember a few years ago when we had some rolling brownouts, it was the legislature's fault. Do you all remember that? <laughs> uh, oh, it was the Senate's fault. It was <laughs> the Senate's fault. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a dang uh, truth. <laughs> We, we obviously uh, want to make sure the lights are on. This is, you know, absolutely something we take for granted. An air-conditioned room, lights 
so we can see. Uh, it's a great concern to me, and I, every time we have a committee meeting, we ask that question. Are we going to be able to keep ERCOT? Are we going to be able to keep the lights on? Are we going to have the capacity we need for a blistering hot summer like we've had recently? And uh, everybody is, you know, wanting to stay very cool and keep their lights on. It worries me. Uh, to backtrack just a little bit, though, I see some dark clouds on the horizon for solar, so to speak. <laughs> That's the center. Uh, did you backtrack just to get yeah. that line in? Or did you have See, you wouldn't let me, let me get a word in edgewise. <laughs> uh, uh, no, let me just say that was, that, was for, that was a joke, okay? Those of you that didn't laugh very much. Uh, what what I want to say is we need a diverse energy portfolio, and obviously we need to look at solar. But this is a little bit above our pay grade, of course, but government, and especially the federal government, is not very good about picking winners and losers. And uh, we've seen it with ethanol, we've seen it with uh, Solyndra. Uh, absolutely, we need to explore every area. And yes, natural gas prices have put a damper on uh, some of this renewable energy. And that's why we had this, uh, I had a bill to uh, create this bioenergy council to kind of coordinate and see what people are doing on bioenergy. And we all know ethanol uh, had a little bit of success, but there was a lot of problems there. Uh, but how, you know, my question is, how do you know until you go down the road a little bit? Uh, so, so I want to see us look at everything, but I don't want to see us, uh, you know, what, what's the deal? Has anybody watched the Texas Hold'em? You know, all in, push all your chips in on, on anything, solar, wind, uh, anything. We need a balanced uh, energy portfolio. And that, that's what we're working on. We talk a lot about that when we get together late at night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I would say, I, I, actually, there's probably not a more vocal critic of the Emerging Technology Fund than, than I am. Because I agree, we shouldn't be making investments in, venture, in business ventures that have been unsuccessful raising capital in the private marketplace. What makes us smarter than the private venture capital folks. Where I think government, and I, I don't consider it picking winners and losers when we make pre-commercial R&D investments. I agree with that. And, and, yeah. I, and, and we've got a pretty successful track record in that area as a country, uh, even though you know when you're investing at that earliest stage that a lot of those things are never gonna come to fruition because you're at such an early stage in the life cycle. Relevant to that is the fact that we're here at the University of Texas, which is the place to, to study if you want to have a career in the oil and gas industry, and has been for 50 years, leading petroleum engineering and geochemical departments in the world, which has a virtuous cycle effect in the industry. Right? We generate the leadership of the big oil and gas companies. They go run big oil and gas companies and donate generously back to the University of Texas, and we reinforce our leadership position in those disciplines. An area where most of what I talked about in terms of investing at the R&D level in renewables is really federal policy. An area where Texas could do something, though, is through its universities and by being leaders in those disciplines that are hopefully going to be the disciplines that drive the future of the renewable energy industry. You would want, it, it makes sense that University of Texas should be the place to study if you want to have a career in energy, period, not just oil and gas. Well, and to add to Harvard of the High Plains, Texas Tech has the, <laughs> certainly the uh, wind lab, you know, the National Wind Lab is at Texas Tech. Yeah. So, so I mean, and again, you know, wind will be a player. It will be a player, as we all hope it will be, when we have a battery, a commercial battery, that will store energy yeah. and be able to be used uh, in, in that regard. And when, when that happens, I think we're close to that happening. And I think that will, be, that will be a game changer. I think that will be certainly for that. But getting back to the West Zone, for just an just example of what's going on right now, my real world job, we have iron foundries. And our biggest overhead, obviously, is energy, is furnace uh, electricity. The congestion charge that we're paying these last three or four months, the congestion charge is greater than our energy usage. 
And I can't believe that anybody, when we were thinking about that, that anybody ever thought that that would be the case as far as a congestion charge. But, but uh, it goes from uh, your area, Craig, the, the west zone is pretty much uh, uh, not El Paso, but to, uh, to the Austin area. I mean, it is a big swath in the, in the west zone. So it's, it's affecting a lot of, um, uh, well, the economy is being affected. So that's something I, I hope. ERCOT, so will Cres fix that for you? Well, eventually, but that's down the road. We're looking at what can be done at the, in the immediate, yeah. uh, in the present, right now. So that, but that's an issue. Again, the, the growth, the oil and gas growth. Uh, we we know what the problem is. We've been told what the problem is. We didn't know know what some solutions will be. So that's what I'm hoping they're working on. So I, I do think, I, I don't know if the PUC will dispose of this before we get back next session, but I do think resource adequacy needs to be on our agenda next session if it hasn't mm -hmm. been addressed by the PUC. And, and I don't think there's a way to, to deal with it other than through the policy mechanism of capacity payments, right? And that's not going to be politically popular. You know, nobody's, nobody's going to want to pay for electricity that by definition we're not using, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and yet, without it, we either have to do one of two things. Allow very high prices during demand peaks, which is a less unpopular way of foisting the same price hike on consumers, but doing so without transparency. Or tolerate an unreliable grid. And, and that's bad, you know, because for the reason you say, at some point that hits us politically as much as making people pay for electricity they're not consuming. Yeah. Uh, but it's also bad in the area that most politicians in this, in this state are most proud of, which is it's going to affect our ability to recruit and attract businesses and grow businesses in Texas because it is being used against us now in the marketplace. When people are, when we're recruiting companies against other states, what the other states are saying to these big manufacturers is, you don't want to go to Texas because you can't depend that they'll have enough electricity for you. Well, another, another issue along those lines that um, um, just before we open it up to questions, I'd just like to hear a little more about is, is water. I mean, everyone seems to agree that water is a big and potentially limiting issue for this state. And uh, so really my question is, you know, kind of, what specifically should the legislature do? And if there's uncertainty about whether it'll do it, why is that? Because there does seem to be quite a, a broad agreement. You know, is, is the issue sort of money? Maybe Senator uh, Uresti, I can start with, with you. What, what do you see um, being an obstacle here to doing something? And, you know, what should it be that we do? Well, I think you know, one of the, the thoughts that comes to mind is, Everyone's territorial about their water. Um, you know, regional um, areas, county areas, et cetera. One of the things that we had been pushing throughout my district, it covers 50,000 square miles, is to develop the um, groundwater districts uh, to begin with. But you know, the water plan that somebody, one of the, my colleagues mentioned earlier, you know, has to be funded uh, accordingly. And I think the last number was to the tune of. $50 billion or something, mm -hmm. you know, ridiculous. And yeah. we, we don't have that kind of money, but until we make it a priority, and until we start to, you know, the legislature makes the decision, we're gonna appropriate X amount of dollars to um, fund it, we're not gonna make that progress. We cannot continue to kick the can down the road. I remember when we first started talking about that, I guess it was eight or 10 years ago, and the number was far, uh, a lot less than the 50 billion. I don't recall the number, but it was a, probably half of that. And it wasn't that long ago. So when, you know, hopefully this session, um, we have some great people here. The, the four of us might be the ones to start uh, talking about that. Mm -hmm. Representative Keffer, what do you see on, on that? I mean, why, why can't we kind of agree to do something about it? Well, it's because it, it, it all boils down to money. You know, I mean, that's anything we ever do in Austin. Uh, you know, conservation, as Senator Uresti was talking about, uh, the, one of the great things that SAWS has been able to do, we'll have to look at, you know, they're going to have to cut back. They won't be able to do ice carvings anymore at the Senate buffet. I mean, you know, you know they're going to have to cut back uh, uh, you know, on a lot of things. 
that uh, no, we're going to keep that traditional. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it's it's finding a consistent source of revenue for the 50 billion, 53 billion, whatever the price tag is now over the years to do it. You know, but we got out of the drought of the 50s. You know, we didn't get to where we are by accident. Our leadership, when we got out of the drought of the 50s, looked down the road and their vision got us to today, you know, with our growth of population and where we are. You know, we have to have that same vision. We have to be adults and we have to have the same vision of going forward for the future of our state, the viability of our state, to get us down another 50, 60, 100, you know, whatever the case might be. And when you look at it, because we, we could pass a water plan next June, by next June. But remember, folks, a, a new reservoir is about a 25 to 30 year project. A, a desal plant may be a four to five year with the pipeline, with the connection project. So, you know, you don't flip a switch and say, okay, we're there. And that's why it's so important this time, because of looking down the road, to try to find new water sources, uh, not just depending on the rain, uh, as we have in the past, but to, to find new water sources, brackish water, desal, whatever the case may be, and new reservoirs. I mean, it's something that, because of the length of time it takes for these projects to come to fruition, we've got to start today. We should have started 10 years ago, unfortunately, but we didn't. But uh, it, it's something we got to do today, and, and I, I hope the public of Texas, the, the citizens of Texas, will get behind it. Because there are going to be those that will say, no, I don't want to spend a dime. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to spend money. And folks, those guys don't have your best interest at heart. We've got to look down that road. We've got to be visionary. And you've got to help uh, the House, the Senate, the governor uh, say that, yes, we want a viable Texas in 50, 60, 70, 100 years, however, however, we can, however long we can go down that pathway. Because it is something that we've got to do this time. The, the, the one thing to add to that is uh, what Laura Huffman from the Nature Conservancy has been saying, which is there is a cost of not spending the money in the water plant. And that cost has actually been, you know, with some rigor, estimated by the Water Development Board at a potential cost of $120 billion. Isn't that roughly the number, 116 or something? And now that number is the consequence if we don't do anything and we experience a drought of record, mm. right? So the problem is it's not a direct trade-off. It's a certain expenditure of 50-plus billion dollars to execute the state water plan against an uncertain risk of a hundred plus billion dollars if we don't spend it and we hit the drought of record and we experience the population growth that's projected over the next 40 years. I think there is another way what, that finances work into this though, and I, I'm not an expert on this. Somebody would know, know this better than me. If you make those billions of dollars worth of investments in the water plan, you would presumably increase supply and thereby reduce the price of water. If you fail to do it and water gets more and more scarce, then the price of water goes up. And if, if fracking can, can't get to the point where it only needs 500 gallons of water, if, we, if you're competing, if residential consumers are competing with oil and gas and, and electricity generation and all the other things that put demand on our water supply, the price, if we don't do something about water supply, the price of water is gonna be unsustainable for a lot of people. It's, that's, gonna, that's gonna force conservation in ways that we're not gonna like as consumers. So the, the, there's, there's good reason to do something. That it is a problem of money. We have to find some way to capitalize these investments off the projected savings in the rates that making these investments ought to generate. Is there a, a role for the, it, could the legislature, you know, sort of mandate conservation? I mean, you know, uh, uh, I know uh, Lyle Larson is, you know, sort of saying that, you know, maybe year-round watering restrictions would be a good, I, good idea, really, um, potentially across the board. I mean, Senator, I'll, I'll give you the last word on Well, on I, I got to tell you, uh, I got away for a little bit of vacation 
this summer and I was in Colorado and my neighbor called me and they said, the city is videotaping your sprinkler going off on the wrong day. <laughs> so we got over there and got that fixed. I don't know how it went haywire. Uh, no, yeah, something happened. Electrical surge, I'm sure. Uh, but having said that, uh, conservation absolutely has to be a part of our long-range plan. And, and let me just say, and I hope I don't sound like someone that kind of said something similar to this about we're not a red nation or a blue nation, we're the United States. But I, I remain an optimist because I think at the end of the day, Texans are going to do what's right and they're going to look to the future. And, and here's, the, here's my quote. We're not a South Texas, North Texas, East Texas, or West Texas. We're Texas. And we have a part of this state that has lots of water, and we have a part of the state that doesn't have a whole lot of water. But we're all Texans. And uh, we need to reach beyond our regional boundaries, whether it's a basin or whether it's a district, and realize that uh, we know where the growth is, we know where the water is, we know where it's dry. We know where the aquifers are. Uh, we're going to band together at the end of the day and do the right thing. I'm very optimistic about it. Great. Well, on that optimistic note, are there some uh, uh, questions? Um, yeah, over there. I have a question about the sunset. There's a lot going on there. Railroad Commission, PUC, Port of Houston. Um, do you think those, those things are going to get done? in the next legislative session, and uh, Chairman Kemper, are we going to finally change the name of the, the railroad commission or something more, more, more eclectic or whatever uh, to the to NASA? Or, no, yes, we will. Uh, we are going to change the name, and uh, we will get I can speak about the railroad commission. It is my, uh, that is my uh, holy grail, I guess, to make sure we get that done this time. And I think, I think, uh, the atmosphere and leadership over there and things are in much, much better shape uh, than we started last session. So I, I'm very optimistic that Railroad Commission uh, um, or Texas Energy or however we're going to change that name to uh, uh, will, will, will pass, be successful. Other questions? Yeah. Okay, taking off what you said, a name by any other name is still a name. Uh, distributed generation, solar. How about distributed gas generation? I think it should Combined be heat next. and power, are you all going to be looking into that role? Because that can take care of your congestion problem, reduce your uh, distribution, and it can produce power at uh, a lot more efficient than a I, I guarantee you it's, it's a lot more at the, uh, at, uh, on everybody's uh, radar than it has been. We had, we had a wonderful uh, time passing a bill for the city and county of Denton. On, on that very issue and an industrial park out there. And hopefully we can use that as a model to replicate in other areas of Texas. Mark, what role does that play in solar? What, how can they play together? I don't know the answer to how it affects solar, but I, I, what I have heard is that, you know, well-structured market with capacity payments, that one of the big winners would be CHP because it if it's a if it's a if it's a market-based system, CHP comes in on the low end of that, and, and there'd be a growth in CHP investment under that. I, I I don't know that there's an intersection between the interests of solar and the intersect and, and the interests of CHP. Um, I, I can't think of a specific connection, but somebody in the room probably can. Yeah. Well, pace would pace would finance both. That's right. Pace would be used to finance both. So that is a connection. That Property would be a policy mechanism that we have. Is there another question? Yes, state climatologist. Yeah, but it's not a climate question. It's about groundwater. In the wake of the uh, Supreme Court ruling on groundwater earlier this year, do you think the legislature will be attempting to clarify the ground rules under which groundwater can be um, regulated or managed? Why don't I bring uh, Senator um, Uresti in, because that, that uh, uh, case involved the, uh, the Edwards Aquifer. You know, there's a, a saying, I was trying to recall, whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting. That's right. right? That's right. Um, but we're all Texans, remember But we're all Texans. East, wet, I can't remember how that went. Well, you know, I can't, 
I can't speak for the lower chamber, but in the upper chamber, <laughs> um, that doesn't have ice carvings. <laughs> um, in the upper chamber, in this, Senator Estes and I both sit on the Senate Natural Resources Committee. I, re, I recall last session we, we kind of looked at that issue, but I definitely think we're going to have to, given the, the new Supreme Court case, the litigation that is, it, that is following as a result of it at the legislature, it's incumbent upon us to step up and, and uh, to do something about that. Because if not, we're, we're, we're going to ask for a lot of trouble from, year, for, from here on out for years to come. I recall in law school, you know, studying the rule of capture, and that was the law, and it wasn't going to change, and mm -hmm. it's going to be like that forever. And obviously, you know, that's not the case. So I think this next session, um, we're going to be definitely looking at that. Let me add something. Uh, we're glad to see our state climatologist here, and I'd like to repeat something he said before my committee. I asked him something like, okay, we've been through two years of drought. Correct me if I misquote you. Uh, we've been two, through two years of drought. What chance do we have of this becoming equal or greater than the drought of records, which was seven years in the 50s? And you said, slightly less than 50%. So, uh, folks... Those are Vegas uh, odds. Huh? Those are Vegas odds. Yeah. Well, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it struck a chord with me. Uh, we're two years into this drought. We don't know what year three is going to bring, four, five, six, or seven. Uh, folks, it's time to get serious about these issues we've discussed. Thank you for your testimony. Did I quote it right? Next <laughs> 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 okay. question, right up there. Um, I know that the Water Development Board has been talking about legislation next session um, that begins to look at water district management at a slightly larger level. Um, the example they talk about is last year the city of Houston selling making money off selling water to uh, was it Sugarland, I believe, while Sugarland had no water restrictions on its citizens, but the city of Houston did, because the, it was a money maker for the city of Houston, essentially. But Sugarland had no water restrictions, um, yet they were both on the same source of water. So do you see any legislation next session, we all have a lot of water districts who have political boundaries that don't match the natural resource boundaries. Um, do you see any movement to begin to coordinate those? Representative Keffer, put you on the hot seat. <laughs> huh? Oh, uh. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was very uh, pleased to see many cities, like in North Texas, when we were declared the drought, we were drought, the drought was over, you know, up in our part. But a lot of cities kept water restrictions on, which I thought was a very good uh, idea based on the climatology that we are still in a drought era or um, system or whatever the case is. Uh, as far, you know, we all up here would love to see cities and water districts take that upon themselves to do that. I, I, I just, I just um, would, would feel like anyone that is doing their job and, and knowing the situation of our state and uh, that they would take it upon themselves to make sure that that is being handled. I, I'm sure we'll look at it. I'm sure there will be some effort to, to, uh, to uh, look at a statewide unified issue but it, it is so hard to do and look at it to, to have a broad paintbrush like that so I, I don't know I'm sure it'll be looked at uh, I know Chairman Ritter on natural resources we've already had those discussions uh, I sit on natural resources also in the house but uh, um, stay tuned on that like the governor said uh, last night there'll be debate on that, you know, or, or however he put it uh, last night, uh, and there will be, but uh, we, we I, I would love to see that remain a local issue there because I think those guys would know their system and their city much more than we would here in Austin, but uh, it, it will be talked about, it will be discussed. 
think we have time for uh, one more question up there. Um, just this conversation about conservation, you're essentially talking about non-price rationing of, of one sort or another, and that kind of begs the question about whether, in fact, the price system for water in Texas accurately rations water. Or do you want it to? Yeah. Well, if you don't do rely on the market, what do you rely on? You rely on public policy. The question is, do you want to rely on the market to ration an indispensable good for human life? Uh, you know, I think you've got to have some kind of strategic policy in place. That's right. I think one thing that we as a state failed to do uh, adequately and properly is to educate people on conservation. And I think that it's a, it's a very easy task to do. I don't think, I know SAWS, San Antonio Water System does a very good job of it, but um, without mandating policy necessarily, I think it, it's a simple thing that we could do better as a state. Just start educating Texans about conservation in just a little bit would go such a, you know, yeah, a and long look at way. Even, even landscaping, you know, what you're going to be using, to, you know, things like that, that I know, and I, there, I, was, I was went into an HEB, not to bring them up, but I was just going in their grocery store and in, in the beginning of the spring and they had shrubbery and, and uh, flowers that were uh, more native and more drought resistant and less watering. I mean, is it, is it that kind of, like say, education? To, to get the public knowing that, you know, St. Augustine grass is really pretty and it's wonderful and we're all used to it, but the gallons of water it takes yeah. to, to keep it pretty in, in today's way of life, you know, Senator Estes is taking a shower once a week now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And, How did he uh, know? And keep going. <laughs> That's why he's way down there, too. <laughs> Well, oh, I think his goodness. bills are in trouble this next legislative session. I think it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> this is a, a unique way to end. Uh, thank you very much to all of our panelists. <laughs>